You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikenna Okeke of the Father's Church. This message will challenge, encourage, and propel you to fulfill your purpose and live that life that God originally designed for you as revealed in His Word. Be blessed as you listen. Okay. On Wednesday, um, Pastor Nat took us um, to Second Peter 3 from verse 9 to 11. And um, he spoke to us on the theme, what manner of persons ought you to be. And um, I picked from what he taught. He taught us that in this time, in fact, the particular uh, verse says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. So it is expected that in this time, we should seek to be in holy conduct and in godliness. But he also took us to understand that this is a season we must be very careful with our words. Praise the Lord. We must watch what we say. And then he also you know, reminded us that this is a season of prayer. And sincerely, if you live in Nigeria today, and if indeed you live in any part of the world today, you would not need to be told that these are times that are, you know, quite trying, you know, the trying times that we live in. And the, the Bible is not surprised when we uh, find ourselves. It doesn't leave us, you know, to rope and to wonder what is happening when times are difficult. That's why the Bible, you know, gives us the injunction. It says, be anxious for Nothing. Praise the Lord. Now, the word anxious means, uh, or rather, the word anxious is um, what you do in a situation that is not favorable, in a situation that you didn't plan for, in a situation that you really don't know what to do. So, anxiety is the reasonable, rational response. Praise the Lord. Now, the word of God says to you and I, that we shouldn't be anxious. Praise the Lord. So as things are in our world, as things are in our nation in particular, the word of God says, do not be anxious. Can you help me tell your neighbor, do not be anxious. So it says, do not be anxious. Anxious is what the rational response should be. Okay? So, for some of us here, we are paying school fees in foreign exchange, okay? So, for some of us, we are paying living expenses in foreign exchange. For some of us, you know, our children are going to be entering school in September, and um, you were trying to get ready for the old school fees, but it's already going up. You weren't ready for the old one, and it's going up, you know? Some of us, it's even... The staff salaries, you have to increase salaries, make provisions. So there are all kinds of things that should make any rational person anxious. Okay? But the Bible says you and I should not be what? Anxious. Do you believe the Bible? Okay, so what does it say we should do? It says, but in everything, how many things? Everything by prayer and supplication. So what the word of God is saying is that 
in times like this, you and I should actually take our prayer lives notches higher. Not a notch higher. Notches higher. Amen? We should take our supplications higher. Why? Because we are spiritual beings. So instead of anxiety, many, you know, some time ago, Mamichi taught us, he says, if you can worry, you can pray. So whatever will cause you to worry, can you please, you know, channel it to God in prayer? Because that's God's provision for times like this. You know, some of the things God said to me, he says, it's God's word and you should live it God's way. Praise God. It is whose word? It's God's word. And if you really want to enjoy this world, you should live it God's way. So, this is what God is saying. Times are this way and that way and that way and this way. He says, do not be anxious. But do what? Take it to him in prayer. You know, I remember many years ago that when my sisters, I was and they were doing the um, devotion. And the little boy said, every time you say, call on God, call on God. What's God's phone number? Call God, call God. He said, what's God's phone number? And I think there is the God's phone number in the Bible. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. If you dial that number, let's see what it says. You will reach God. What does it say? It says, call to me and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things which you... So with this call, network is never busy. Battery is never low. Praise the Lord. He said, call to me and I will... No voicemail. No call back. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. Praise the Lord. So, in this time is a time we should call on God. Call on Him in the morning. Call on Him in the afternoon. As the thought comes, call on Him. As a message comes, call on Him. As you imagine it, call on Him. As you hear it, call on Him. Call on Him. And what does He say to us? He will answer us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, our text is actually John chapter 6, but before we get to our text, I'm just trying to lay some background, okay? Now, last Sunday, after we finished service last Sunday, you know, God started speaking a few things to me, because you remember, I'd confessed last Sunday to killing ant, cockroach, I killed lizard, mosquito, I've done some killings, but when I left, you know what? The Spirit of God asked me, who killed Jesus? Now, I know you never thought about that, but who actually shed the blood of Jesus? Let me give you options. Okay? Pilate. Was it Pilate? Was it the Jews? Was it the devil? Was it me? It was me. Was it God? Praise the Lord. Okay, let's see who shed Jesus' blood. The first answer we have is from John 10, 18. Let's see what the Bible says. Our Lord Jesus, they're speaking. What does it say? Talking about his life. It says, no one does what? Takes it from me. He said, but I lay down of myself. I have power to lay down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my father. So, from this passage, who shed Jesus' blood? Jesus shed his blood, Right? So I'm free. I'm absolved of responsibility. Okay, not too quick. Let's see another one. John 3, 16. Who shed Jesus' blood? It says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have. For God so loved the world. What did he give his son to do? Gave his son to die. So who shed Jesus' blood? God. Why did he shed it? For love. Okay? So Jesus shed his blood. God the Father was part of it. Praise the Lord. It gets more interesting. Acts 2.23. Let's see how Pilate and the rest of them got involved. Okay, let's read together. It says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now, let's see that in the the Living Bible or Message, Acts 2.23. It said, This Jesus... Following the deliberate and well thought out plan of God was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. This is to you here is the Jewish people. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. I like that word, killed him. You know, it's clear here that he was killed by being pinned to the cross. And who pinned him to the cross? The Jews, the Romans, all of them together, right? Okay, let's see the final answer that will help us. Colossians 2 now, 13 and 14. Praise God. This is what it says. It says, and I, being dead in my trespasses and the circumcision of my flesh, he has made me alive together with him, having forgiven me all my what? Trespasses. How did it happen? It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against me, which was contrary to me, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, what? To the cross. Now, Acts 2.23 says, nailed him, pinned him to the cross. Now, Colossians is telling us what put him to the cross. It wasn't the nail. It was my trespasses. Praise the Lord, somebody. Can we see that Colossians in easy to read version or the living Bible? Any of them or both? Um, Maybe let's just go to 14 because of time, okay? It says, because I broke God's laws, I owed a debt. A debt that listed all the rules that I failed to follow. But God forgave me that debt, okay? And he took it away and what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. So what nailed Jesus to the cross? The death, the laws that I broke, that I couldn't pay, was what nailed him to the cross. So when I count, okay, let, let's just read for emphasis the Living Bible. Let's see the way it gives us that. Thank you. It says, and blotted out the charges proved against me, the list of his commandments which I had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by doing what? Nailing it to Christ's cross. So, Jesus, hanging on the cross, was nailed to the cross by my disobedience. Praise the Lord. If I had broken no laws, if I had no sins, Jesus would not be able to be nailed to the cross. He wouldn't go to the cross, right? So, who shed Jesus' blood? My sins. Praise the Lord. But my sins didn't force him to the cross. It was love for me. 
Instead of allowing me to be judged, being punished for my own iniquities, he, for love's sake, took it upon himself and went to the cross. And when the father said to him, son, you will go for us. The father didn't force the son. Praise the Lord. That's how come he told us, no one takes my life. You know, sometimes somebody is doing something for somebody and he takes a step and says, I'm doing this, so, but it's because of you. I'm doing this, so, but it's because of you. Jesus is saying when he agreed to go to the cross, he agreed in obedience to the Father, yet he also agreed in love for you and I. Praise the Lord. Okay, now, everyone that played a part, Pilate, the Jews, and the rest of them, what did Jesus say about them when he hung on the cross? He said, Father, what? Forgive them for what? They do not know what they are doing. Now, in that, we are included. Until he went to the cross, even the people who crucified him didn't know what they were doing. But if Jesus had not made that statement, Father, forgive them, you see, the iniquity of what they had done would have been upon them. Now, but the sin that Jesus paid for, the price he paid, is enough to forgive all sins. Praise the Lord. Are you with me this morning? Let me explain that point before I move on. You see, the blood Jesus shed, the weight, the enormity, the value of that blood is so much that Jesus, if he didn't say, Father, forgive these people, you see, he wouldn't gain anything by not forgiving. He had spent so much. Praise the Lord. Now, at the back of that, it begins to show you and I the provision that God has made for me and the provision that God has made for anybody you can think of. You see, because we are human beings and we live in a, a limited world, sometimes we imagine that if anybody comes in to share what I already have, it will diminish it. Praise the Lord. But the love of God, the Bible says uh, that is beyond knowledge. It talks about knowing the length, the width, the depth, and the breadth of God's love for us. You understand? Now, what I need you to understand is that the price Jesus paid, the value, the sacrifice that he made, is enough to save everybody and anybody. Praise the Lord. We need to understand that because it's going to help in our soul winning. It's going to help in our evangelism. It's going to help even in we forgiving when people offend us. Because sometimes you sit and think what somebody did. Do you know what he did? What you need to know as well is do you know the price he paid? Praise the Lord somebody. Whatever he did cannot equate, cannot, you know, tarnish the price that he paid. Hallelujah somebody. That is one of the things we begin to see as we look at Jesus. Now, I'm laying all that foundation. I'm going that back to come forward. Okay? Praise the Lord. Because, you see, the Christian faith, when rightly understood, is like a circuit. It's a circuit in the sense that a circuit is the connection that current leaves a source, okay? And goes out through some wires and reaches a point, you know, achieves something and then does what? It comes back. Okay, if at any point, either in the going or the return, that line is broken, would there be power? There can be power. So it has to go this way and then come back. That's the second. Now, the same way, our relationship with God, which is Christianity, okay, 
Christianity is our relationship with God. Christians are those who have this relationship that we are talking about with God. Okay? When rightly practiced, it's going to be like a circuit. And there are going to be the direction where you receive God's love. You receive God's mercy. In fact, it's the beginning of everything we're going to do with God. That forgiveness, that price that Jesus paid for you and I, is where everything begins as Christians. At creation, God created the world. But at redemption, that's where it begins. Praise the Lord. Now, the Christian that understands the price that Jesus paid for him, just like we're trying to understand here, understands that Jesus would never have needed to come to the earth, to walk the earth, to die on the cross, had it not been for his sins. Praise the Lord. Listen. The Christian that understands this, understands that his sin killed Jesus. My disobedience killed Jesus. Okay? Now, when I understand that, that Colossians 2.23 talked about the sacrifice for our sins that Jesus paid. And then he talked about our propensity to continue, our nature. The older translations will say the uncircumcision of your heart. So Jesus paid for my sins and then also paid or delivered me from a love to sin. I'm going somewhere. So anybody who is genuinely born again has every sin he has ever committed. And if I may add, will ever commit forgiving. Can somebody say thank you, Jesus? But you know the better news there? Is that anybody who is genuinely born again, even though he has every sin forgiven and every sin will be forgiven, does not also have any desire to sin again. Because if you have a desire to sin again, it's possible you got China born again. Your born again is fake. It is the one that the pastor told you. It's not the one that the Holy Spirit did. Because when the Holy Spirit does it, you see, in the old covenant, the Jews had a physical circumcision. Abraham, the father of faith, had a circumcision at what year? 90 something or 70 something. It couldn't have been earlier. Now, imagine a 70 something year old man. And they didn't have anesthesia then. And they didn't have knives then. What he had was a sharp stone. Imagine him planning to go through that experience every day. <laughs> Is someone with me now? The circumcision was a once and for all act which cut away that outer flesh. And they said, you are no longer who you used to be. You have become what? A new person. He that is in Christ has what? All things are passed away. All things are He has become a new Christian. That is what circumcision represents. Now, the born again Christian has the same circumcision, but it's not the physical. It's a circumcision that the Spirit of God works in your heart. So when you come out to the altar and surrender your life to Christ, you immediately know that everything in your past has been what? Forgiven. Hallelujah. But also immediately you know that going forward, you have to walk circumspectly so that you don't do the same things that you did that were forgiven. If I keep doing what I asked God to forgive me for yesterday, then I have not really been redeemed. Because we are redeemed from lawless acts and we are redeemed from the nature or the love to do them. Praise the Lord, somebody. Many of us, when we are younger, what helped us 
you know, before Jesus saved us, is that there are some things that while you're in school, far away from home, you know, mother is not there, father is not there. There are some things that, you know, friends and, you know, peer will want to do. And then you just remember, if my mother hears I did this, if my father hears I did this, ah, if my name comes out where they are doing something like this, you pull back. Is someone with me? You know, it just puts a check. Now, at a deeper level, the Christian now knows that if Jesus looks and sees that I did this, so that thought alone makes you want to withdraw. Praise the Lord. Now, we are talking of the secular. Now, when a person begins to have that check inside of him, that hold inside of him, not to displease Jesus because of the price he paid for him, you know what begins to happen? On the other side of it, that person will automatically develop a trust in Jesus to also take care of him. That's where I'm going this morning. Nobody will fear or reverence God and not trust God to handle his situation. If you fear God and reverence him like we're talking about now and know that Christ has walked this walk for you and in you, and you're also not expecting that he takes care of you, this morning there is deliverance in the name of Jesus. Because the thief is walking. You see, I cannot resume in a place, in an office, you know, every day of my life, I get up, I go there in the morning, you know, I walk from morning till night, and then on the 30th day of the month, I go on the streets with a plate, and I'm begging. Please, can somebody give me money? Can somebody give me money? I need money for food. I need money for rent. I need... Will anybody do that? You know, a few times we've had people, you know, you know, come to, I think someone came to Momichi recently and said, you know, please, I need rent money. And Momichi asked the person, you know, I think an old acquaintance or friend or something like that. And Momichi said, are you born in Shea? I said, where do you worship? So I worship in, you know, mention some big church. And then Momichi said, ah, hey. So, so you need rent from uh, NMPC, and then you're coming to uh, NCC personnel to give you money for rent. It doesn't make sense. You understand? You can't be going there every day, and then when you have a need, you travel. There's something wrong. Now, the same thing, this Jesus that shed his blood to wash me from my sins is also the same Jesus that says, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? If I don't do that second part, the devil is cheating me. And let me tell you something. He, that's what he does. The devil doesn't mind where he cheats you. He can cheat you in disobeying God. If he achieves that, he's happy. If he doesn't cheat you in disobeying God, he wants to cheat you in trusting God. And unfortunately, he has many sincere, many genuine, many faithful believers on that angle where they obey God, but they don't expect God to do anything for them. It's a circuit. Praise the Lord. What did I say? It's a circuit. On one side, there is a reverential fear of God. There is the honor. There is the devotion. Like we've come this morning, some of us, you came in the rain, and then yeah, we're not saying that your works, no. It's your devotion. This is where you have, you know, there's an evil word that I want. You see, ngunye. Can anybody help me with it? But thank you. This is where you have pitched your tent. 
You have pitched your tent on Jesus' side. Hallelujah. Why will you not now call on him or trust him that is watching over you? Because we're in dangerous times. And if you don't understand this circuit system, the devil will wear you out. Because situations will come, you know, moments will come where you sit down and there seems like there is no way out, only despair. But if you have lived your life in reverential fear, in Isaiah 11, let, let's just look at it. It will help someone, 2 and 3. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, talking about our Lord Jesus, because he patterned for us everything as well. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is what? In the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about people here whose delight is in the fear of the Lord. People who won't speak a curse word. People who won't quarrel. People who won't fight. People who won't do what they know they shouldn't do because of God. And they're not doing it as punishment. They're doing it as a delight. Men who have been loving to their wives and women submitting to their children, obeying their parents. You know, you're working, you're putting up, your delight is in the fear. You know that you're a Christian and you're living in honor to him. See what the Bible says, Hebrews 5.8, about our Lord Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Okay? Hebrews 5.8, give us seven, please. Thank you. Okay, it says what? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from the dead? And what happened? And was heard, why? Because of his godly fear. You see, you can't fear and not call. And when you fear and call, the person you're calling knows that this one depends on me. Praise the Lord. The psalmist said, the Lord is my, not my neighbor. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can I hear you say that? If the Lord is your shepherd, if the Lord is the one you fear, if the Lord is the one you worship, then you should take it for granted you will not want. Praise the Lord, somebody. You see, the fear side, the reverence side, the devotion side, the other side, the complete trust and dependence, they go together. You realize now that the more you have this devotion to him, you have this reverential fear of him, the more you also, you can leave yourself to him. That's why the prophet, you know, Elijah could say to, Elijah to, um, to his servant, was when the Syrians came and uh, the servant said, Master, Master, we are surrounded. And... <laughs> What did the prophet say? He said, they that be with us are more than what? They that be with them. Their commander lives in Syria. Are you with me? They have horses. Their horses are flesh. Their weapons are iron. But I have a commander who is the Lord of the hosts of heavens. Praise the Lord. And his chariots are fire. So he had no reason to fear no matter what happened. Is that Jesus your Lord? Then you need to tell to yourself, Lord, open my eyes. Because what you see that is threatening you, that infirmity, that circumstance that is looking as it wants to overwhelm you, is for those who don't have a master in heaven. When you have a master in heaven, you know that always. That's why the Bible says, if God be for you, who then can what? 
be against you. But you see, there's a deceiver in this equation. There's the enemy. If he can't stop you from disobeying God outrightly, from not reverencing God, he will go to get you to not trust in him. And now when you don't trust him, what happens is that circumstances and pressures will push you into situations where you enter a conclusion and say, I am forsaken. And once you enter that, you now revert to disobedience. You will never get there in Jesus' name. The Lord will meet you and meet you right early in the name of Jesus. This is what the Lord says. He says, Matthew 7, 11. He says, if we, earthly fathers, speaking to me, you know, I know how to know when people have children, you know, that begin to enter higher school and begin to pay school fees. Somehow you see the man, maybe before, every time you see him, he buys a new suit, he buys a new car. When children enter university abroad, you will just see the man. He's just repainting the car. He's just washing it. You know, when you see him, he's just, you know, and he, he's not complaining, you know. But you're wondering, ah, this brother, nothing is uh, changing around him anymore. What has happened is that he has children. And his thoughts are continually what? Towards how they're making it. Now, somebody was telling me, uh, for those who their children are schooling in the UK, pounds is now 1,200 or so. And I, let me tell you about pounds, if you don't know about pounds. When I say I don't like UK, I think I don't like anywhere again except my home country. Because that was why I didn't like UK. Their money was too expensive. Let me tell you something about pounds. If you change 100 pounds and wake up before you go to bed in the night, it has gone. Water, how much is a bottle of water? No drop. If you enter bus plus train, enter bus, come out, enter train, still waka, 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 enter another bus. By the time you come back, 20 pounds has gone out from you. You go to visit somebody, it says, meet me at social station. By the time you go and come back, 15 pounds has gone out. Now, when they're calling it pounds like that, 15, it's 15 to them. When you come back here, it's 15 times. Do you understand? And some people have children schooling there. Now, what God is saying is this. The parents of that child there squeezes himself so that he can see that that child is not thrown out of school, is not inconvenienced. Is not you know, experiencing hardship. It says we are evil. And we can think like that. What more your heavenly father? Is somebody hearing me? What more your heavenly father? What more our heavenly father? Number one, who has no limit to resources? We have limit to resources. He has no limit to resources. And then he knows more. You think you know what your child needs. But God knows more than you what you need. Praise the Lord, somebody. So, as a Christian, if we don't enter into that place of trust, that place of confidence, another place he says, Matthew 10, let's look at it. Matthew 10, 29, 30, and 31. You know, Jesus is trying to help us explain this. He says, are two sparrows not sold for what? A copper coin. Now, the sparrows are so cheap in value that they can be sold one. You know, before in Nigeria, many things were sold in groups. If you wanted to buy a pair, if you bring 100 naira, they will give you three or four. Now, there is nothing they don't buy with 100 naira now. Even Tom Tom, when you go to buy Tom Tom, you bring 100 naira, they give you, how much is it now? Everything now. You know, there was a time in Nigeria, when you go to buy, they put it in a basket, and then you bring the minimum currency. Now, everything, God forbid, it will never happen. I wanted to say something, but I withdraw it even in my head, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God is coming for us. God is coming for us in the name of Jesus. 
Okay, so the sparrows are too cheap, you know, too low in volume, that they have to be sold two for one. And God said, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Go on. He says, but the very hair, contrast of value, but the very hair of your head are what? Number. Now we've been made to understand that this number doesn't mean they know how many. It's serially numbered. That's how much detail God has about you. He says he has inscribed us on the palms of his hands. Let me tell you, God's concern and thought towards you and I are so deep that the angels are asking God, what is man that you're mindful of him? Now you have this God like this, the devil will fight so you won't trust him. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. He's a serpent. He's a liar. Now, can I tell you something, sir? The situation that is making you lose sleep now, God has it sorted out. Let me tell you something else he said to me. How many of us are in school? We have the young ones here. When I was in school, I don't know whether I I participated in that, maybe once or twice, because it's the really bright people and serious students. That they'll give an exam. They'll raise their hand. Say, teacher, teacher, auntie, auntie. Question six is wrong. How many of us know friends who used to know when question was wrong? Now, for you to know question that is wrong, you need to know what the teacher knows. Some of us, any question they put there, you're used to failing. So, you just fail this one and jump. But this person came into that exam, planning to get 10 over 10. But she's not getting the answer to 6. And she has solved it and solved it. She said, teacher, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. Teacher, check. Do you get what I'm talking about? Wrong question. Teacher, that is a wrong question. And you see that the teacher can check. And come back and correct the question. And those who know will answer. Now, God said to tell you, he has no wrong situation for you. There is no circumstance that you are in that you can tell God this is wrong. Remember what he said about the sparrow. He said, not one falls to the ground without your heavenly father's permission. Now, what he's saying is this. Where Nigeria is now, God knew we would be here. And because he knew he would be here, and he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he has made a way. He says, no temptation has befallen you, but such as is what? Come on. So when you cry and say all oh, this, when God looks at what is going on, you say, Gabriel, go and find out what these Nigerian Christians are complaining about. Gabriel, come and say, ah, they say fuel is now 620 and it's going up. They say the dollar is now 940 and it's going up. They say uh, Tinubu has uh, selected uh, 40 thieves for this. Thing. And he said, what again did they say? He said, it's common. Say there's nothing new. He said he will not allow you. He will not allow me. Are we part of it? He will not allow you to be what? Tempted beyond what you can bear. But with every temptation, what does he do? He makes a way of escape. Yes. So God is not there shaking. He said, I have no wrong questions. You can't tell me. God. The Bible says he never leaves himself without a witness. And I pray you'll be that witness. I pray the Father's church will be that witness. I pray your home will be that witness. You see, God has, you know, he has a sense of humor and also a high level of precision. Everywhere we read the Bible and we want miracles and want miracles and want miracles. Have you ever seen a miracle performed where there was no problem? Eh? But we sing you're the God of miracles. Isn't that what we sing? So where there's a problem, what should we begin to expect? Miracles, miracles, miracles. 
Recently, the Lord got me to be praying for Nigerians for divine health. You know the doctors have been on strike. Did you know that? You wouldn't know because you have divine health. You haven't had need to go to the hospital. But the doctors have been on strike. Say so, pray. Praise the Lord. When COVID hit, some nations had 2,000, 4,000, 10,000 um, ventilators. Nigeria had only two. So that's why they were sure that we'll be dying on the streets. But God is a God of miracles. They say, uh, is it uh, social distancing? They say one person in a car. How can Nigerians enter one person in a car? When the car that was meant to carry three people in Nigeria is already carrying seven. How can we do social? Poverty will not allow you to do social distancing. But you know what I learned? Medically correct. They said that exposure to death and germs and playing, you know, in overcrowded rooms gives children immunity against a lot of things that children suffer from. So the problem we have today is that our children are suffering a jebo sickness. Do you understand? When a child grows and they play and this person sneezes, the other person inhales it like this. <laughs> no, no, no. You can laugh, but what is vaccination? Vaccination is that they take the virus and put it in controlled doses. Now, God designed it in such a way that, you know, our people have a saying that the cow that has no tail. What happened? It says it's God that drives. Uh-huh. So from that, I face me, I face you. You know, a compound where there are 18 rooms, there is one bathroom. You can imagine the intermixture of gems in that place. But what it does is that over time, it builds immunity. So when COVID came, Niger body side, don't chop him before. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just... Hallelujah. Okay. Praise God. Okay, so we are now in our text. John chapter 6. Let's read it quickly. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He said, But this is said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This truly is a prophet who is to come into the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Now, with the little time we have, you know, I want us to see something in this very classic miracle. Remember, this was one of the miracles that Jesus referred the disciples to. He says, when I fed the 5,000 with this, what happened? When I fed this. So he intended it to be a case study. 
Now, what we find from this miracle, the first thing we find from here, just going back to where we stopped from, God has no wrong questions, is that the people here hadn't even realized they had a problem. Praise the Lord. One of the accounts said they had followed him three days. The multitude here had not realized they had a problem. They, they were so engrossed in the teaching of Jesus that they didn't know they hadn't eaten. May God give me that desire again. Where love for God and the enjoyment of his presence will cause me to lose a sense of the physical things of the world. I can't hear many people's amen. <laughs> Listen, let me explain that to you. Every one of us, no matter how you look at it, we are like containers. Let me see you do your hand like container. At every point in time, you must be filled with something. Okay? Now, in physical law, says nature abhors what? A vacuum. Okay? Now, spiritually also, what happens is this. In that your container, the more of every other thing you have, the less of God. God never struggles. God never fights to fill a space. Are you with me? In fact, all the commandments, most of the things we are told to do by God is essentially to make room for him. That's why the Bible can compare, um, what was that we learned in Sunday school recently? That's why the Bible can compare covetousness to idolatry. You know why? Because where there's covetousness, there are things that I'm looking for. And once I'm looking for those things, I lose my sight for God. And once those things also come in and occupy the place in my heart and, you know, satisfy my desire, my taste for God goes. So when we say that these people followed Jesus for three days and they didn't know they needed food, it's a prayer we should pray for ourselves. Lord, give me a hunger for you that will be so much more that I wouldn't know I need some of the things of this world. Hello? Now, now a few of us may have had uh, maybe deadlines at work and different things that were set before us such that the people, your close family, your husband, your wife, your children, that you always wanted close by you. At that time, you didn't want them close by you. You, don't, you didn't hate them, but there was something you were pursuing. Is someone with me? Now, there's the same thing. These people had such a hunger to take in everything that God was saying that they didn't know they were hungry. May God take us to that. In the name of Jesus Christ. So, in this account, they did not know. It was Jesus that said, if these people leave now, they will be hungry. They will faint on the way. So the conversation came between him and the disciples. Where shall we buy bread that this what may eat? All instigated by Jesus. Now, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. Can I tell you now that before you had that problem, God thought about it. Praise the Lord. That deadline you're already aware. Before you were aware of the deadline, God knew about it. The only problem is that some deadlines we have, God didn't give us the deadline. Should we go there? Some burdens we are carrying on our heads. They are not part of the assignment. Praise the Lord. You know this is summer period. It's time some of you travel to your house. Did you hear me? Travel to your house. <laughs> this is vacation period, okay? It's time you did a staycation. You did, listen, summer, you know, at this time, you know, Nigerian summer, summer. Meanwhile, we don't even have summer. What we have is rainy season, but let's leave that for, for another day. It's rainy season we have. And rainy season is farming season. <laughs> now, you see, a lot of burdens that you're carrying, God didn't give it to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, should I tell you about myself so you understand? Let me use myself to tell you. Now, as long as I'm in Abuja, okay, I won't miss, by the help of God, I won't miss prayer meeting, I won't miss service, I won't miss all of that. 
So when I travel is when I can sleep and eat. But with the cost of foreign exchange now, I might travel to my house, which means I'll be in Katambia and I have traveled. When you call me, I'll say, yes, how are you people doing in Nigeria? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, you see, you can give yourself some gray hair that Jesus didn't give you. Because I asked myself the question. All these things I'm telling you, pay. Because some of you will now use me and be talking to your wife or husband and children. You will pay me. So I asked myself the question, what do I need? I said, I need rest. I need just a free time. Is free time synonymous with boarding flight? If anybody here has traveled, you know that that process of immigration security is stressful. But when you just walk into your house, no immigration checks you. Now, that's part one. For those of us that are old enough here, when you travel, maybe for the first day you might like Oibo food. Second day you might like, you know, the burger. Third day you might like uh, Golden Corral and all of that. Fourth day you might like, um, you know, some of those their food. After some time, when you lie down, you want pea and corn. So what of a vacation that you can have pea and corn? I remember many years ago we traveled to Atlanta and they had to go almost 100 kilometers to buy us suya. Meanwhile, in my house, if you jump from my fence to the other side, you find suya. So I can have a vacation where I have suya without traveling 100 kilometers. And when I calculated everything, I saw that that burden to travel, God didn't put it on me. To rest, God wants me to rest. Is somebody getting what I'm saying? There are some things you're carrying that God didn't pack that load for you. Tell somebody, drop it. Children are about to enter school. Your child must not go to that school. What is that school, pastor? You know that school. That school you can't afford. That school that when you take them to, even fail to drop them in that school will be a problem. Jesus didn't give you that body, so he's not thinking about it. The one he's thinking about is the one he gave you. Is someone hearing what I'm saying? No, no, he didn't give you that body. Sister, whether you wear a Peruvian weave on or you wear yaki, the truth is that we men don't know. That's, the men don't know. We men know, but men don't know. So please, can you for our sake, relax. And besides, they've brought out Photoshop. You can wear yaki and Photoshop it to human hair. They didn't give you that body. You can change it to yellow, the same hair, green, purple. You see, God has made prosperity easy. <laughs> Their burdens, we're killing ourselves. You know, we're killing ourselves. I, I must have this, I must have this. I, I don't want to go to I must marry. I don't want to go that I must have children. Listen, all those things, God wants it for you. But the time you kill yourself for it, you become... Desperation is never an indication of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me? Anything you're desperate for, the devil is the one firing you. Anywhere God wants to act, the first thing that you see in manifestation is there is a rest. When Abraham and Sarah were desperate for children, nothing happened. When they told Sarah about a child and she started laughing, that was when conception came. There are injections that... Okay, for a few women who will understand this... Epidural for CS and for now some surgeries and, you know, a lot of things. The requirement is that you must stay still. If you can't get still, the doctor will go back home. God also is saying that when I want to do some works in you, in fact, in that account that we're reading, oh, Lord, help us. What did Jesus say to the disciples to achieve with the people? He said they should do what? Say, make them sit. Jesus spoke pidgin English. 
Make them sit down. Can you say to yourselves, sit down. Sit down. Concerning that matter, sit down. Sit down. Sit down. And you know, I was reading this and the Holy Spirit showed me something. The account in Mark. Let me show you something there. The account in Mark chapter 6, 30, I believe it's 37 that they have that. Or 34 to 37. Okay. Mark 6, 34. It says, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them what? The first thing Jesus did was to teach them. Okay? It was after he had done teaching them that he said, let's give them food. You know why? The Bible says in Hosea 4.6, simple statement. We all know it. It said, my people are destroyed. For what? Lack of bread. For expensive foreign currency. The destruction of you, the destruction of me, in any situation, it doesn't matter what it is, is lack of knowledge. If we knew better, we'd be safer. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You see, there's a beauty about understanding. There's a beauty about knowledge. And if you can please give us, um, is it which of the uh, translations now? The Living Bible. Let's see the knowledge he's talking about there. It's not even so much of skill. This is what it says. Hosea 4.6. Thank you. Help me read it, everybody. What does it say? Because what? Because what? That's why we're destroyed. That's why we suffer. Because we don't know him. Remember, in one of the Psalms, it says, he will guide me with his eye. We are destroyed because we don't know him. And, you know, he said, it's all our fault, not you now. He says, we pastors. He says, it's all for you priests. For you yourself refuse to know me. Therefore, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. Okay? So, the people must know. And that is what we are learning. This is the heart of God. God, as a born-again Christian sister, as a born-again Christian brother, God wants the best for you. But you need to enter into a trust, a place of trust, a place of knowing that he is my Lord. He wants the best for me. Praise the Lord, somebody. So in this account, he taught them, he taught them. And then when he was done teaching them, he said, let's give them bread. The Lord was saying to me, that act of making, because the moment he said, where shall we find bread that this may eat? And the disciples went out, follow me now amongst the multitude to start gathering bread are you with me so let's assume now people are in a place and um, they need uh, uh, maybe something for to help everybody you know escape or whatever and the disciples were sent around this whole multitude and they started asking everywhere please do you have matches do you have matches do you have matches or do, do you have a whatever in this case do you have bread do you have fish and when they went around by the time they were going around you know what that they are going around was creating it was creating anxiety because all of a sudden, everybody there knew that there was scarcity of food. And when they looked, they hadn't found bread. When they looked, they hadn't found fish. When they looked, they hadn't found food. What do you think was the state of the people there? They were agitated. They were harassed. You know, they were behaving like Nigerians at the airport. They were behaving, you know. Anyway, so in this account, they were going around. So there was scarcity. Everybody knew about it. Then all of a sudden... They started clapping. What happened? They have found five loaves and the Bible said two small fish. Okay, so that news spread. And they were waiting for the next instruction. And the next instruction was, the disciples now went and said, dinner is ready. Dinner is ready. Everybody sit down. Now, that's where we're going. Praise the Lord. That's where we're going. Dinner is ready. And you peep. 
to see whether they've gotten a truckload of bread. It's the same five loaves and two small fish that are holding. And you're saying we should sit down. Now you're going to see something in that account when we get there. When Jesus fed them, the Bible says the part of thanksgiving we know, he gave thanks, he broke it and distributed to the disciples. And then he gave to the disciples. Read what is there after he gave to the disciples. And the disciples gave to who? To those what? Thank you, Momichi. To those what? What he meant was the what? It's not everybody that was sitting down. Let's rise on our feet. It wasn't everybody. Sir, in that situation, can you sit down? Oh, uh, uh, what am I forgetting? Even those days as small children, when we go to parties, and it's time to share. These days, party gives goes round. Because everybody that is invited to the party, they have to use car to bring in. Those days when we went to parties, when there's a party in the neighborhood, as the music is rising, people from the different streets are gathering. So when they bring the gift to share, the condition is if you're not sitting down, I won't give you. How many were there? We are back there. It says the disciples to those what? Sitting down. We started by saying be anxious for. Can you pray for yourself for grace to sit? For grace to sit down. You have a father. You may have been told by the enemy you are abandoned. You know, yesterday our sister launched a book and said that even the widow is not abandoned because the widow, the Bible says the husband of the widow is God. So the widow is technically Mrs. God. So how can you be abandoned? Who is that that is abandoned? You have a father. You have a father. Can you sit down, sir? Family, can you sit down? Can you sit down concerning that health situation? Let me make a confession to you. I told us about Sempain, this sleeping aid. The last time I took it, after almost four hours of taking it, I had not slept. You know why? The activity in my brain and my body did not allow it to work. So, and let me mention that the only time it works is that after I have slept, when I now want to wake up, that time he wants to arrest me. You see, there's a level of anxiety that you have. Drugs won't work on you. Because you're not just a mechanical being. You have a soul. So your body responds to different things. But this morning, the Lord has sent me to tell you, trust me. Can you take that challenge and say, I have a father? Can you take the things you're thinking about, that business, and say, I have a master? Can you take the report that has been given to you and say, I belong to Jesus? Can somebody take the letter that has been given? Maybe it's a medical report. Maybe it's a financial letter. Maybe it's a request or whatever. Can you take that letter and kneel down and say, Lord, can you read this letter and respond on my behalf? Can somebody lift up his eyes? Can somebody raise his hope and say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Can we have some Christians in church today? Can we have some persons here who are no longer orphans, who can pray the simple prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us and say, our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Can somebody tell the Lord, I permit you, I allow you to be exalted in my life. I allow you to be exalted in my situation. I allow you to be exalted in my finances. Can you please be exalted in my marriage? Lord, look at the things that are worrying me. You are my God. Come and take your place. I surrender out to you. Can somebody just hand over everything to him? Can somebody sit down so that the bread, the miracle bread and the miracle fish get to you can somebody sit down can somebody tell him I will trust in you 
Can somebody say, I turn it all over to you? Can somebody say to him, Lord, I repent. I've made you too small in my eyes. Can somebody say, my ears are open. Can somebody say, I will wait on the Lord. Can somebody say, I know whom I believe. And I'm fully persuaded. Can somebody be persuaded that the one you fear not to offend by sinning, you should also trust him to satisfy you because he's a good father. Can you just get into that place where you kick out the suggestions of the enemy and say to yourself, I have a father. Do you know that in this account, I'm running because of time. I don't want to take much of your time. When Andrew brought the five loaves and two fish, this was a statement. He said, master, there's a lad here who has five loaves and two fish. Now, after he said that, do you know what he said? He said, but what are they amongst? Now, let me tell you what happened there. The Bible says, you have an unction from the Holy One. And that unction or anointing, it teaches you what? Now, what happened with Andrew, the Holy Spirit was telling him, is that something told him, five loaves and two feet, take it to the master, something will happen. But when he got there, Andrew that went to school also said, Andrew, why are you being stupid? They're looking for over 200 denarii water food. And you're bringing, you know, a boy's lunch. Now, God has spoken to you. That's where I'm going. The Spirit of God has dropped things to you that will bring solution. But to you, when you now think about it, ah, can somebody say, Lord, forgive my thinking. Help me with trusting. Help me with trusting. Help me with trusting. Help me with trusting. Because that idea comes. That idea. He says you have an unction from the Holy One. He teaches you. Some translations would say, he tells you the truth. Remember he said he will not allow you to be tempted. But with every temptation, he makes a way. So he says this is the way. He says do this. But when you now analyze and analyze, ah, you say no, this won't solve this problem. But this morning, the anointing is coming afresh on somebody. Faith is rising. Confidence is rising. Obedience is following. Miracles are coming. Can we put our hands together? You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-1588404. You can find us online at www.thefatherschurchonline.com. God bless you.